Recently, CNN did a poll about how much money would be needed for you to feel secure in life or to make yourself happy. Now, the overwhelming response was given in this regard, just a little bit more than what I have right now. It didn't matter if they had a lot, didn't matter if they had a little, everyone had verified that they just needed some more for them to be happy. Then when really pressed about how much more was needed, they came down to a final answer and the average was about $100,000 more is what is needed. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth never is satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, which if you know much about the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the theme of the book, that all things are meaningless outside of, of God. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Which means just to, to, to lust after them, to be jealous of somebody else who has them, to get greedy for them. And, and I think more than likely the reason why many of us want more is because so many of us are living beyond our lifestyle. You know, it, this week is the beginning of the shopping season. Some of you are going to get yourself into trouble with the credit card. You're going to want something that you can't really purchase in the moment because you don't have the money to buy it, but you have the hopes or the expectation that the money will be there in 30 days. And we're going to set our sights on something. We're going to feast our eyes on some things that we hope we can have, but we can't have in the moment. And what that does is it perpetuates greed, immediacy, Um, a lust that can be satisfied in the immediacy. Did you know if you tallied up all of the debt that we have as households in the United States, that number comes to about $11.85 trillion. Did you know, just just try to comprehend this for a second. If you were trying to count to uh, $11 it would take you 330,000 years to count to that number. Jesus says, we've got to watch out. We've got to be on the lookout for something. He says, we need to watch out so we don't become greedy. That we just don't keep thinking, I just need a little bit more. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because what? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we say, Jesus, I know that. But what he's getting at is, it's dangerous to desire wealth. It's dangerous just to think, I just need a, a little bit more. Because... It doesn't matter how much you have, a little or a lot. Our constant thirst is for another drop. And here when we desire wealth, we instinctively, I think, disperse it amongst ourselves. I know we like to think we're generous. I know we like to think we give to other people. But I think the lion's share of when we just get a little bit more usually is invested in our own interests. And I think what greed is, is it's the reverse of being generous. And God wants us to be generous. And so Jesus emphasized this with a, a man that he met, a man that he met in Luke chapter 18. Turn there with me. This guy is a, a young man. He's an important figure. He is a leader in his community. He has a huge fortune that he's in control of. He is powerful. He's a ruler. And, and regardless of what has been taught to you in the past, this is a very moral man. He's handled his wealth very well. 
And the encounter that we're looking at is found in Matthew and Mark, but I want to look at Luke chapter 18. And here are the three things we're going to learn today. We're going to learn that wealth has its dangers, and I want to focus on that primarily. Secondarily, we're going to learn that we can watch out for the dangers because there are dangers there, and then we can avoid those dangers. Wealth has dangers. Watch out for those dangers and how we avoid those dangers. Luke chapter 18 Before we get into it, I'd like for you to consider something, though, that money has the power to sway us. Consider that for a second. Money has the power to sway us. And and if you have a lot of it, it can be your downfall. But also, if you don't have a lot of it, the pursuit of it can be your downfall. Someone said that money doesn't really change people. It just amplifies who they've always been. Which it like increases your problems. It magnifies your problems. I think that's true. I I know that you can't pay cash for character. You have to develop that. I know that you can't take out a loan to buy love. You have to first give that. I know that you can't pay money for meaningful relationships. You have to be a friend first to get more friends. I I know that money can't buy loyalty. I know it can't buy integrity. I think typically wealth just enlarges who we genuinely are. It shows people who we genuinely are. And I think, too, it has the power to to sway us. Some of you remember the old boxer, not that old, Mike Tyson. This guy was like the greatest champion to ever step foot in the ring. And he amassed a fortune of about $400 million in total winnings and endorsements. This guy had so much money, but I just learned recently that He has lost all his money. He was at the top of his career. And when he's at the top of his career, he said, quote, money is my God. That was his quote. Money is my God. But he spent his money foolishly. Like he bought huge homes, expensive vehicles. He had uh, a variety of tigers. You know you have too much money when you can start buying tigers, right? Uh, He had failed business ventures. His, His God, I think, quickly disappeared on him. Because now, Sporting News has said he is so broke that he's about $700 to his name. $400 million at one point, $700 today in his name. He owes $23 million to the IRS. That's not a good place you want to be. And now he says, in a more humble spirit, he says, When I had money, I was an animal. I was so belligerent, I lost all across the board. Money was his God. Now he recognizes it swayed me. All it did was it magnified my problems. And if you know who Mike Tyson is, he is a guy that's filled and plagued with problems. And it magnified his problems. And it created a real danger for him. Because money has a way of swaying us. And while we can use it for our betterment more times than not, we use it and it makes us worse. And when Jesus met this success, successful young man, he told him this metaphor of impossibility. Look with me, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Here's the metaphor of impossibility. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, the camel at that time was the largest animal in that region. That's what people prominently knew. The needle was the smallest of man-made objects during that time. And Jesus uses this metaphor to say, something so large can never fit through something so small. See how impossible that would be? I mean, 
there is something today that we would say like this of that impossibility. This guy has a snowball's chance in Florida to make it to heaven. And Jesus used that metaphor to emphasize how hard it would be for someone who has wealth to follow after God. But, 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 but we've got we to kind of, I've got to steer you away from something. Please, please be careful. Recognize that while Jesus points out wealth as a barrier to salvation, it's not something that bars you from salvation through Jesus Christ. He points it out as a distraction, as a stumbling block to salvation, but he doesn't say this bars you from salvation. And before you think God is against those who are rich or who are wealthy, just look back through the Old Testament and New Testament, how God has blessed people that followed him with complete devotion. Like for example, Abraham. Abraham was one of the super rich of his time. Isaac, the Bible says that the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Or David, who was overwhelmed with the blessings of the Lord and it says he was full of life. He was full of riches and he was full of honor or how about Solomon a man that God blessed so richly that he is known today as the richest man who ever lived or how about Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament a man that was a wealthy businessman in Jerusalem and a prominent figure who was very wealthy God said those men those people were saved and they follow after me but those people were exemplary figures of how to handle wealth and how to be rich towards God Not everybody can do what they have done. And it's possible to be wealthy and be saved, but here's the point. It's difficult. It's difficult. Those who heard Jesus talk about the difficulties of being wealthy and being saved, well, they looked at Jesus in verse 26 about halfway through, and here's what they said. Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is, what's the word? It is possible with God. Okay, so anything that is impossible for man that God has to intervene with is called a miracle, isn't it? If God has to intervene because man can't get it done, God goes against the laws of physics, the laws of this world, and he intervenes and gets it done. That's called a miracle. And what Jesus is saying is salvation is a miracle. Man can't save himself One sin or a million sins, we are all in need of a Savior. And so Jesus wants this man to recognize that wealth can't save you. You can't earn your salvation, but God can miraculously bring salvation to your life. Also recognize this, that there are a litany of things that can keep you from accepting God's salvation that's offered to you. Through Jesus. Not just wealth. There are litany things. There's so many things in this room right now that are holding so many of you back from completely following Christ. And it has nothing to do with money. And I think what all that says is that sin, while it comes in different forms, all has the same, all has the same end. All has the same result. And that's separation. Sin separates us. Separates us from God. It separates us from each other. And, and so, so if, if, if the wealthy can be saved, why do you think it is that Jesus is pointing out the impossibility for the wealthy to be saved? Is Jesus picking on the rich here? Some of you would love that. Yeah, pick on them. Is Jesus, is Jesus just like saying, look, man, I'm poor, you're rich, and you deserve all your problems. You know, Scripture teaches us 
and tells us that, that money is not good nor is it bad. Some of you, some of you think that money's evil. But scripture teaches, no, it's neutral. Put it like this, money has no morality. But people do. And see, while money may be neutral, people are good and people are bad. And they use money in those ways. And God tells us, you know, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of it. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And I think that's, that's getting to the heart of what we're talking about today. Is that there are people that are pursuing money at the cost of their soul. They're pursuing money and they're, they're saying, my soul doesn't really matter because what's important is this temporal thing right now. And I'll take care of the eternal sometime later. But please don't lay the guilt on money for someone who is greedy. They're greedy because all money has done was enhanced their heart and shown you that person genuinely for who they are. It just enhances our problems. Let me, let me just tell you about some pitfalls of wealth. First, wealth can distract you from what's important. That's a pitfall of wealth. It can distract you from what's important. Now, the Old Testament book of Proverbs is very... Uh, very positive when it talks about riches it's very positive when it talks about someone who has money and and who handles it correctly but it also has some strong warnings with it like proverbs chapter 11 verse 4 it gives us this advice wealth is worthless in the day of wrath that day of wrath is when this all is said and done and god says it's time to judge who you are but righteousness delivers you from death and the one who invests solely into the temporary securities of this life has been distracted from what's really important. And what really is important is preparing for eternal life. And that's what that proverb is saying. Jesus told it like this in a story, a parable. He said there was a man that was a wealthy farmer, had a huge farm with an amazing bumper crop. The crop was so big that the man had to build more barns and bigger bins to fill up everything that God had blessed him, all the excess. And the farmer became distracted from the things in life that were really important. And he sat back and he said, this is great. I'm going to retire. I'm going to live rich. And I'm going to be generous towards myself. And Jesus says, it was at that very night, the night when the last nail was driven into the last board of the barn, that this man's life was taken from him and he died. And Jesus says, that that man was a fool. Do you have a comprehension of what the word fool means? It means that that man was mindless. He was distracted. It means he lost his mind. He became so distracted that he forfeited his soul in an attempt to stay and to get rich. Money enhanced his problem, and that was a distracted heart. Another pitfall of money is it can make you busy it can make you busy and keep you away from the things of god those who are wealthy don't they seem to seem so busy busy making it busy spending it there are very few who just stumble into money most work very hard and go after it to get it some work so hard that they work hard to play hard just think about all the time it takes to spend wealth and money 
I mean, buying a house and setting it up with furniture and then a vacation home and setting that up with furniture, choosing the right investments and traveling and making vacation plans. Friends, this all, this all takes time to spend, to spend money that you've spent so much time earning. And lots of money, I mean, has the potential of buying lots of things. And I think sometimes you can find yourself being so busy trying to make money and then so busy trying to spend money that you have been so busy that you no longer have time for the important things of life. It's like a vicious circle. We spend money making, trying to make it. We spend time trying to make money with the hopes to sustain money, to spend a lot of money, only to have to repeat the process again. Busy, busy, busy. And money could be the pitfall because it can make you busy. So busy that you just don't have time for God and his people. Another pitfall, it distorts your self-image. I'd say this one's classic for our culture. Most of the world defines who you are by how much you, you make or how much you're worth or how much you have. Uh, recently, my kids got caught up in this kind of thinking. We were driving in the car and a car pulled up next to us, a beautiful, exotic sports car. And they looked at it and they were just drooling in it with it. And they just said, oh man, that guy must be successful. I thought, okay, this is time for a lesson right here. I'm going to teach them something. I'm going to teach them that just because the car you drive doesn't determine that you're a successful person in life. So I said something like, well, boys, honestly, Dave Ramsey uh, said that most people who are wealthy just drive cars like you and I. They drive like Hondas and Toyotas and Fords. And they got real quiet. And then one of them had the guts to say, well, Dad, you drive a Volkswagen. Does this mean we're poor? And I assured them, no, it just means I'm not successful. It totally backfired on me. But it's easy to equate your self-worth with your net worth. Success with surplus. But nowhere in Scripture does God ever set that as a standard for success. Actually, here's how God measures success. He measures it not by how much you've gained, but how much you have, how much you've given up. The Apostle Paul had to learn this a very hard way with a very hard lesson, and it made him a very humble man. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, he says, But Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Some of you are not there yet. You are not there yet. You haven't recognized that, that there are things in life that you think now are valuable, culture thinks are valuable, but God says it's actually worthless. He says, nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have given up everything. It's not about gaining successes in God's eyes. It's about giving up everything else and count it as garbage. All I want is Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus, God says you are successful. Everything else is trash compared to having a relationship with God's Son. If you want more money, if you, if you want a greater education, if you want your dream house, more than you want Christ, you haven't discovered success yet. Paul says, all that stuff is garbage to me and can be tossed out with the trash. All I want is Jesus. And Paul says, look, God measures success with this. When Jesus is all you want because you've recognized he's all you need, that's how God measures success. Don't let anything get in the way of your devotion to Jesus. Money distorts our self-image in this way. It makes us uh, choose poor decisions. 
Here's some ways I think it blinds us from making poor decisions. I think this, this time right now, juniors and seniors in high school, they're all flooding different colleges and campuses trying to figure out what school they want, what occupation they want to be involved in, what field of study they want. And they're making decisions not about what they want to do. They're making decisions primarily on what they think they need to do, what's going to earn them a greater living. And there's going to be a lot of kids that are setting themselves up for failure because they're going to realize that spending 40 hours in the office or 40 hours with what they got their degree in is not going to leave them satisfied. It might have made them a lot of money, but they're going to feel very empty because they made a poor decision when they were 18 years old. Money has a way of distracting us. You don't think it makes poor decisions of people? Look at the downfall of people that have had a windfall of money fall into their lap through the lottery. It's estimated that 70% of lottery winners have gone bankrupt within the first three years after their winnings. So who wants to win the KFC drawing now? Because you won't have it maybe in three, month, or three years from now. We all think we know how to handle it well, but Jesus says there's so many pitfalls involved with money. Don't think that you, you, you will be enhanced by this. More than likely, you'll be entangled with it. Here's another thing. Money has a way of distorting our self-image when it comes to our pride. Now, I've met a lot of business people that, that have earned a lot of money and now they think of themselves as being the greatest deal makers that the world has ever known. I've met a lot of preachers that have grown churches that believe all the growth was because of them and it was because of them that the church grew. Money and power and wealth have a way of distracting us and putting pride into our lives that's undeserved pride. Those who have gained a lot of wealth need to be reminded that not every deal is going to be a good deal. Not every customer is going to be loyal like the last one. You are not a good judge of character as you think. You can't read people like you think. Money is not always going to be there. Times are not always going to be good. As a matter of fact, the New York Times had ran a story a couple years ago with this title, Kill Your Pride Before It Kills Your Business. That's the, world's, that's the world's outlook of knowing that when pride enters your business, when pride enters your, your, your salesmanship, that's when destruction takes place. Here's how the Bible puts it in 1 Timothy 6. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Here today and then it can be gone tomorrow. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So let me kind of like conclude this segment of this sermon here for a moment, saying, when we pray for God to bless us with more money, that quite possibly we could be praying for something that could entangle us so deeply that it deconstructs our faith. That when we pray for money and more wealth, that really what we're saying is, God, would you give me something that's so dangerous? Something that has so many dangers with it. It might move me to the point of an impossibility to being saved. So if you're purposely pursuing money and you're walking that path, let me say this. Tread 
lightly. God has a warning sign for you. And it's in the form of a question. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, now catch it, yet forfeit his soul? So let me ask it this way. Has the chase for more dollars dominated your life to the point where you have devalued your soul? As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus was saying to this young man that we were starting to get into in Luke 18. I mean, that's where this conversation started was, was this young man in Luke 18. Let's go back to Luke 18 and let's just see what he said before he told that parable of impossibility. Look at verse 18 of Luke 18. He says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus turns the topic on its head and he says, why do you call me good? I think what Jesus was getting at is that young man must have recognized that there was divinity behind Jesus. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments, Jesus says. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy, the young man says. The man has amassed a fortune here. His life, though, is still lacking. He's recognized that about himself. I have a ton of money, but there's something lacking in my life. I recognize I'm not successful. And he, he has this encounter with Jesus. And I want you to know that the main point here is not trust. The main point here is not security. The main point of this scripture is devotion. That's the main point. How devoted are you to following Jesus? Because this man had a real insecurity. He believed that he had the temporal things of life under control, and he did. His money had the temporal things of life under control. But he recognized, he had enough sense about him, that he didn't have the eternal things under his control. He had security on earth, but he was insecure about a heaven. He had insurance on earth, but he had no assurance of salvation. And that's the problem. And Jesus says, do you want that assurance? And the man says, that's why I'm here. And Jesus gets to the heart of it, and he recognizes the terrible insecurity of this man. And he says, you can't buy salvation. You can't earn salvation. And I'm sure the man's wondering, well, then how do I be saved? Well, you know where you find that answer? You find it in what Jesus didn't say. How many commandments out of ten did Jesus list? Five. The commandments are split up into two tablets. Jesus quoted the second t- tablet. That second tablet has to do with all the ways in which we, we relate and honor one another on earth, how humans interact. But that first tablet, the one that Jesus did not quote, has everything to do with the way we relate and honor God. And the man is saying, I've been good with my money. I've been generous to charities. I've never overruled people. I've been good with my authority. And Jesus says, I bet you have. But you haven't been generous to God. And you haven't been good to God. And you haven't respected God. And you haven't honored God. Isn't that what Jesus says? Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. 
Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And Jesus tells the man, you need to make a step to being generous toward God. Follow God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your riches, and your rule, Jesus said. Follow God with all that you are. And this man's problem wasn't his money. This man's problem was his devotion to to God. That's what this problem was here. Money only enhanced the man's problem. His money emphasized his unwilling heart to follow Jesus. Because someone who follows Jesus with all that they are will give all that they have back to God when God asks. And that's the point. When Jesus asks for all that you have and all that you are, a follower says, here it is. No questions asked. Verse 23. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He had no idea that being devoted to Jesus was going to cost him so much. You see, he was casual in his faith. He wasn't complete in his faith. And money highlighted this man's problem, and this man knew it, and the text said he was sad. That word sad means that he was shaken, visibly shaken by this. He staggered in recognizing that he didn't have what it took to follow Jesus. He couldn't give everything that he had even though eternal life was at stake, he couldn't do it. Verse 24, what does he say? He goes back to that metaphor of impossibility. Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to be so devoted to Christ. I mean, put yourself in the the man's shoes. Give me everything that you have, God says. Every dime in your possession. Let's just start at the temporal, at the meaningless stuff like money. Be willing to give me all of that. And this guy says, I can't. Could you? That's a level of devotion. Let's let's close with this obscure point. Let's walk away today with the same attitude, the same willingness, and the same devotion of the rich young ruler. (laughs) You're going, what? Because there is a rich young ruler in this story that did the right thing. Do you see him? Jesus is 31, 32 years of age. He came from having all the authority that was given to him in heaven, all the glories of God's riches. And when Mark tells this story in his gospel, here's what he added. He said, Jesus looked at this man and Jesus loved this guy. It's like Jesus felt a connection with this rich ruler as if Jesus is thinking, I'm a rich young ruler too. I once had more than you could ever imagine, but I don't have it anymore. 
I've gone into poverty so deep, you'll never understand how low that is. I've been stripped of my glory. One day I'll be stripped of my friends. I'll even be stripped of my father. The cross will leave me with absolutely nothing. Not even the clothes on my back. Those will go to auction. I won't even have my dignity to hold on to. Friends, Jesus gave up everything in this life, and yet he lacked nothing. That's the willingness. That's the devotion of the rich young ruler. He didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. Scripture says about that in 2 Corinthians 8, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You are are spiritually bankrupt. Sin has forced you to pay a debt that you can never repay back. And Jesus paid off your sin debt by what he did on the cross. Your debt is canceled because what Jesus has done. Because there is a rich young ruler who practiced what he preached. And he gave everything he had.